amazing. It's wonderful to see what God's doing this morning, all these nations representing with the flags, you guys just worshipping God. I want to say thank you for how well you've received our encouragement to you a few weeks ago when we came to the prayer meeting and we talked about God multiplying things here. And do you remember I asked you for feedback? Do you remember what I said? I said, normally I don't get any feedback from churches. I really encourage you. Well, let, let me tell you that out of all you lot, I've had two, <laughs> two emails and one text so far. It's exactly what happens every time we do this. It's like we're British, so si- we'll let you know if we're doing something wrong. Silence is a great encouragement for us as Brits. Can I encourage you? We really are serious about hearing you as we look to test together, weigh together, should Ben, should Grant, should Blessand join the current eldership? We really want to hear a hearty amen from you, not a hearty silence. Now, if there are issues, please tell us. But if it's good things, and I think that's what Brits said, we tell you if something's wrong, we, we keep quiet if it's right. So I'm assuming from your massive silence, you're really encouraged and you're really pleased. But I would love to have a couple of more emails, and the ones I had were really helpful, saying, hey, we're for you, it's really good. Or I've got some concerns. Concerns that are okay, questions are okay, it's all right to do that. Because we feel what God wants to do here is this sense of multiplication. Why are we not just adding one to the church, eldership? Because we believe God wants to multiply things amongst you. And the sense of adding three and adding three very different people, God's doing some multiplication, which is going to result in all of us being multiplied. Because leaders are not there to do the work. You think, yes, they are. We pay them. No, no. Leaders are there to equip God's people for works of service. So the more leaders we can release, the more we can equip God's people, us, all of us, for works of service. So love to hear your feedback. So if you've got a Bible, I wonder if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to kind of continue this theme that I've been picking up about the devotional life of a or devotional life of a people of God, our devotions. Uh, last time I talked about the heart, how important the heart is in our devotion to God. I just want to pick up these verses in uh, Ephesians 3, and I'm going to read verses 14 to 20 in the NIV. Just to give the context here, as so often with Paul's letters, and particularly with this one, uh, his writing to uh, the church in Ephesus, and probably it's a circular letter that's probably going round. Others will be reading it as well, but he's particularly writing to the church or churches in Ephesus. And as always, as so often with Paul, the first part of his letters are quite doctrinally based. And then the second half of his letter here is quite practically based. And this is like the pivot. This is like the thing that turns the whole thing. And it's really in the form of a prayer. And how people pray is really important. That's why prayer meetings are really important. When you hear leaders particularly pray, you really hear their heart. This is Paul praying for the church. It's prayer for the Ephesians. So this is chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your 
inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I pray that as I highlight just on one or two words from this amazing passage, I pray that your Holy Spirit might fill us. I pray that we might see afresh the glory of Christ and that we might be different and live different, differently in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really interesting here. Uh, what Paul prays? He doesn't pray for, eva- I mean, I, you know, I would be praying, Lord, give them evangelistic breakthrough. Lord, grow the church. Lord, let there be more people saved and added. Lord, I pray for strength in their family life. I pray, God, in their work life. They, I pray they witness in the community. And they're all good things to pray, and some of those things he'll pick up. But Paul's prayer is first and foremost not for the fruitedness, but for the rootedness. He prays that I might know something. He prays that they might have fresh vision, fresh understanding as to the person of Jesus, and then everything else is going to come out of that. It's like, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, love of Christ or the love of Christ is going to compel us. It's going to move us. So if we're going to be moved as a church, if we're going to multiply as a church, if we're going to see fresh mission, if we're going to see new nations reached, if we're going to see more people saved and added, if we're going to see families strengthened, if we're going to see communities reached, if we're going to see the poor and the marginalised and the needy touched, if we're going to see Sheffield and the surrounding towns and villages reached, what do we need? We need more of the love of Christ amongst us. We need more of the love of Jesus. And I was recently, I read a book recently and it kind of provoked me. You know how when you read a book and you think, really? Is that right? Well, it was written by a great theologian, church pastor. Actually, I've had the pleasure to meet. He meets uh, with Terry Virgo, part of Terry Virgo's national uh, leadership. Terry once a year. Terry, who founded the, the family that we're in, New Frontiers, once a year, meets with and encourages leaders of the nation. And I met with this guy last year. He's a wonderful man of God. His name is Michael Reeves. And he wrote a brilliant book uh, called Rejoicing in Christ. And he wrote this, which kind of, when I first read it, it offended me. But I thought, oh no, I think you're right. This is what he said. We naturally gravitate to anything but Jesus. Whether it's the doctrine of, this is what offended me. Whether it's the doctrine of grace, or the Bible, or the doctrine of the gospel, as if they were things in themselves that could save us. Even the cross, he said, can get abstracted or taken away from Jesus, as if the wood had some power of its own. 
other things, wonderful things, vital concepts, beautiful discoveries, so easily edge Jesus aside. Precious theological concepts are meant to describe him and his work, but sometimes they get treated as a doctrine in their own right. Jesus just becomes another brick in the wall, but, the, but he is the center, the cornerstone, the jewel in the crown of Christianity. It's not an idea, a system, a thing. It's not even the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. And I thought, how wonderful that was. And that's why we kind of called our movement Christ Central. Not Grace Central or Gospel Central, Central, or even Cross Central, even though those things are vital to us. And it's Christ Central. It's Jesus at the heart of everything. And dear friends, if we get enamoured with doctrine, if we get taken up with understanding truths, but miss the person of Jesus, miss the love of Christ, miss relationship with Jesus. Jesus said about the Pharisees, you know, you know the scriptures, you search the scriptures, you know the scriptures, but you don't know me. You don't come to me and have life. And dear friends, in the evangelical church, we can be guilty of that. We can be guilty of knowing the stories, knowing the doctrines, knowing the scriptures, but somehow miss personal relationship with Jesus. We can miss knowing him. And it's not just knowing him intellectually, although that's wonderful. He's given us our brains. It's important that we understand these things. But as we're going to later find out, it's not we understand just with our heads and our brains, but we know these things in our hearts. We know these things internally. We know him. And Paul's prayer for us here is that we would experience the love of Christ and that we would be changed by that. I believe most of our pastoral problems would be changed. It would have just a different perspective if we knew the love of God. Just hearing my brothers and sisters this week talk about persecution, talk about trouble. I mean, we think it's persecution if you can't find a parking space. We couldn't find a parking space this morning. Think, the devil's against me. I'm being persecuted because, you know, no, you just can't find a parking space. We think we're being persecuted if something goes wrong at home. The dishwasher breaks down. The TV stops. You think, it's perse- no, no, real persecution. I'm just hearing stories this week of real persecution, but of real joy because these people are knowing the love of Jesus. No, they're experiencing Christ in the midst of persecution. Just hearing our brothers and sisters from Ukraine hearing their stories of the love of God in Christ that they're experiencing, even in suffering, even in trouble, even in difficulty. It's not doctrine that will empower us in that. It's the love of Christ. It's knowing Christ. It's knowing Jesus. Paul wants us to know this love. Well, let's just, we're just going to go through this very quickly. It's very simple. And I'm doing this also so the children can understand. Kids, you can get this. I'm going to give you some dimensions. Paul says this. He wants us to know, first of all, the width, how wide Christ's love is. Talks in verse 14 about all the families of the earth knowing. We've been talking earlier about, singing earlier about all nations. Isn't it wonderful to have all these flags of all the different nations? 
all peoples, all colors. This is the width of the love of God, that the love of God, the love of Christ wants to embrace all. The love of Christ is for all. The love of Christ is wide enough for every religious background, for every ethnic diversity, for every family, for every tribe, for every language, for every tongue. It's so wide, he wants to fill all the earth with his love. He wants to touch everyone, every family. The promise to Abraham was that through you, every family on earth, every tribe, every dog, even two-toed tribes in Zambia and Zimbabwe that no one had even come across. Scott said, we'd heard of these two two-toed people. He said, literally, on each foot, it's like this. Just, you know, we've got five toes. They've just got two toes, a big toe and another thing. And we heard that we heard there were two-toed people, apparently. But we'd never been to the, give the gospel. So every tribe, language, tongue, to hear the gospel, to hear it's wide. In fact, blessed, and I feel it's one of the reasons why God wants you on the eldership. Because you are going to continually lift our eyes to the width of the gospel. You're going to continually lift our eyes to the nations. You're going to continually say, actually, we're not done until every tribe, every tongue, every language, and every nation in Sheffield hears the gospel and has opportunity to respond. And friends, that's what the church is. When we eventually have a new heaven and a new earth, it's going to be populated by every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation. It's going to be a beautiful, colourful kaleidoscope. I think, was it Anna? Where's Anna? Annie. Where's Annie? Annie, that was great what you said about the seeds being planted. And what you said was, as these seeds come up, there's going to be all sorts of different colours. And that's true in the church. As these seeds of the gospel come up, all the different languages, all the different colours, all different coloured skins, all different coloured nationalities. And the church isn't supposed to be a grey melting pot where we boil it down to the lowest common denominator. No, the church is supposed to be a place where we dial up the colour, where we dial up the contrast, where we dial up the kaleidoscope of different nations. And if you're here from a different nation, we want you to know how wonderful it is because you demonstrate to us the width of the love of God. That the love of God is this wide and even wider. So, I don't know. If you're from a different nation, in fact... I don't want to embarrass you, because I know that for some nations this can be embarrassing to kind of put the spotlight. I said to Blessing, if I do this, would any of them be embarrassed? He said, no, 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 no. I said, no, Blessing, I'm not asking if you'll be embarrassed. <laughs> Will they? He said, oh, no, 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 no. Well, so you've got Blessing to blame for this. But if you were not, if you were neither born, if you weren't born in the UK, or you were born in the UK, but your heritage or your identity isn't first of all British, it's to another nation. Would you please stand? And bless Anne's going to point you out if you're not standing. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, keep, Joel, keep a count for me. You're my counting man. Just, I'm going to go from this end to that end and just shout out in your big voice which nation you identify with, which nation you're part of. Germany, Pakistan, Kenya, Guatemala, Gambia, Congo, Belgium and Congo. 
Nigeria. 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 Well, we've got some Nigerians in the house. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jamaica. Sri Lanka. India. Peru. Nigeria. Nigeria. Kenya. India. India. Zambia. Kenya. Hong Kong. Congo. Congo. Kurdish, yes. India. Now, how many different nations? Were you paying attention, Joel? Or have we missed anyone? Oh, sorry, I've missed you up there. I didn't see. Portugal. Whoa. As my friend Scott Mark says, the language of heaven. Brazil. Whoa. America. Whoa. Have I missed anyone? South Africa, that counts. Don't apologize. In fact, <laughs> knowing South Africans as I do, that's the first time anyone has ever given it as an apology. <laughs> do we have any more? Back corner. I can't hear. Nigeria, okay, Nigeria. No, no, just, you just wanted another Nigeria, I know. There's more, there's more Nigerians. So, different nations, how many have we got? 22. See, I just want to expose you, um, bless Anne. Bless Anne assured me there was only 15 here. He said, oh, there'll only be 15. 22 different nations, isn't that wonderful? This is, thank you, you can sit down. This is the breadth of the love of God that God so loved the world. He didn't just love one nation, one tribe. He loved the world and wants his love to be expressed in the world. And can I say, if you're from another nation, we need your color, your culture, your vibrancy. What God has deposited something amazing of his grace in every different nation and culture and tribe and language. And we need to be enriched by that. The way you worship, the way you read, the way you articulate, the way you do community, the way you reach out. Something of the grace of God is in you that is not in us. And that's why we need the wit of the love of God expressed in Christ. And there are no nations that are too hard to reach. I'm not going to name them, but if you can think of the hardest nations to reach, they are being reached right now for the gospel. I was hearing stories of nations that I won't mention in the Middle East, nations that I won't mention in the Far East, nations that I won't mention in Africa that are being reached. Nations that you think, that nation? Yes. The width of the love of God. Secondly, the length of the love of Christ. Okay, the length. How long is the love of God? Well, I tell you, it's as long as eternity. See, I want to tell when did you think God first called you? I could say, as an eight year old boy, I heard the call of God. Any eight year old boys or girls? 
Right, any, any eight-year-olds? No eight-year-olds. Hey, eight, eight, it's good age. I became a Christian. I, I, I heard first. I've been going to church all my life, but I first really understood it at eight. Now, I know, you know, Alex, you've understood it since you were eight months, but um, <laughs> he gave me that look. I understood it at eight and gave my life to Jesus at eight. I heard the call of God at eight. And then at 16, I came to a church just like this and got baptized in water. And he's only 16 year olds, you know. That's it. And, uh, you know, I was cool at 16. I'm not now at 59. But I was cool at 16. I used to go to London to buy my shoes. I was that cool. And, uh, but, but at 16 years old, I got baptized in water and full of the Holy Spirit. And God wants you to know that whatever age you are, he wants to call you. If you can understand the call of God, he's calling you at whatever age you are, whether you're 8 or 80, whether you're 9 or 90, whether you're 10 or 100, God's calling you to himself. But actually, that's not the first time that God thought about your name. In fact, it said something amazing in the book of Ephesians that always blows my mind when I hear about it. We don't hear much about what God was doing before the earth was formed. But it does say this in Ephesians 1 verse 4, for he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world. That means that you personally were chosen by God before the Big Bang, before the creation of it all, before continents were formed, before land and sea, before fishes and trees, and before it all, he was thinking of you. And eternity is a heck of a long time that he was thinking about you and planning for you, every detail of your life. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I'll say something. I always get told off for saying this, but it's just true. I wasn't wanted. People say, oh, Jeremy, you shouldn't say that. Well, I know there are people here who feel that. I mean, I was a surprise to my parents. I continue to be a surprise to them, <laughs> but I was a little surprise. But that, I'm so secure that God wanted me. Actually, the truth is Anne was the same. <laughs> and some of you, you feel... I'm not wanted, I'm wanted. Some of you feel I've gone through life not being accepted or acceptable. I want you to know the length of the love of God is that he called you by name before the foundation of the world. I mean, Jeremiah says he called me from birth, or he called me from, my, David says he called me from my mother's womb. We could talk about that, but actually it's from eternity past. And he is going to express his love to you and has expressed his love to you from eternity past, get this, to eternity future. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He will never, ever stop loving you. You see, he loved you before you did anything good or bad. He loved you before you were the wonderful person that you are now or the absolute mess that you were before. Nothing you do can remove yourself from his love. 
because he loves you with a passion and he's called you to himself. And most of us, if we're really honest, in our darkest days, don't always experience that love. I want you today not just to experience the, the sort of um, the length or the width of God's love, but the length of it. That he's known you from eternity past and he's going to express that love to you to eternity future. And sometimes, guys, we do feel like we don't really fit in. Have you ever felt that? I don't fit into life. I don't fit into family. I don't fit into... I mean, some of you are like, I'm so secure. I'm the center of my universe. Nations part as I walk in the room. And, you know, I, I fit in everywhere. Well, that might be you, but that's not most of us. Most of us feel we don't really fit in. We don't always fit into a family. We don't always fit into a community. We don't always fit, fit into that work. We don't fit into the... We just don't feel we don't fit sometimes... God says he loves you with an everlasting love and there is a place of fitment for you in the body of Christ. You fit perfectly. You're not just another brick in the wall. There's a special place where you fit in. And unless we have you functioning as you are, we won't be a complete body. We need you, friends. Uh, here, kids, you'll love this one. A friend of mine, his name was Mark. And he used to like taking his scooter, his motorbike, to bits. You know, he's one of those engineers. Well, at least he thought he was an engineer. He loved to take it to bits, to his wife's dismay, on the kitchen table, usually. So he would strip down his motorbike, and then he'd rebuild it. I was quite impressed, until I found out that he used to have a, a Tupperware container of all the parts that he'd stripped out of the motorbike. And then one by one, he'd put them all back onto the motorbike. And every time he did it, when you looked into this oily deposit, when he'd finished, he looked at this oily deposit and there was a few parts left over. There was a few nuts, a few bolts, a few screws. And, he, and we said, Mark, what are they? He said, oh, they're probably spare parts. No, they're not. They came off the bike. They need to go back on the bike. And if you don't know where they are, you're an idiot. Take it to a proper person who can repair it. Because even the tiniest nut... Right? Even the tiniest nut has a place. Even the tiniest screw has a place. Even the tiniest washer has a place. And if we don't have you in the right place, when we take the church out on the road to be the church in the community, we're going to misfire. We're not going to fully have full throttle. We're not going to have full impact because you're not finding your place. This, dear friends, is the length of the love of God. That he's gone to extraordinary lengths to choose you. Therefore, know that you're loved and know that you have a part to play in the body of Christ. Thirdly, know the depth of Christ's love. Rachel, your interpretation was just wonderful this morning. And uh, I wrote down, you know, you just talked about your sin and the depth of your sin, but how the love of God has just come. And do you know, until we know the depth of our sin, sometimes until we know how far we've fallen, we don't realize how wonderful redemption is. Some of us get this idea, well, God's quite lucky to have me. You know, could have been a Jehovah's Witness. Could have been, I won't mention others. <laughs> could have been another, I could have chosen anything. But you know, I chose God, chose the God of the Bible. Isn't it lucky that he got me? Anyone could have had me. I'm the center of my world. I'm, it's kind of me-centric. And God's quite lucky to have me. And this church is definitely lucky to have me. And actually, sometimes we don't realize the depth of the depravity. 
Listen to what Ephesians 2. See, this is why this passage is such a turning point. He said all this stuff early in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verses 1, 3, and 12 says this. You were dead. You were dead in your sin, in your transgression. Not just, oh, I was a bit grubby, and he cleaned me up. It's like God's repair shop. You know, I, I was a bit broken, and um, he came along, and um, they cleaned me up and repaired me. No, you were dead. You were out of it. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were objects of wrath. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to the promise. You were without God and without hope in the world. That's what you were like. That's the depth where you were. But Christ came from the height of heaven, from the highest heaven. All the glory was his. All the praise was his. All the honor was his. He came from the highest heaven and went down to that absolute depth of humanity to lift you up. Friends, we need to know how wonderful it is to be saved. We need to know the wonderful grace that God has expressed to us in Christ. That we who were enemies against him, dead, without hope, without God in the world, we have been included. How wonderful is the gospel. How incredible it is that he took our sin. How amazing it is that he should save a wretch like me. That was written, Amazing Grace, by Newton, the slave trader. And when he realized that God had loved him and saved him, he thought, how could God save me? I was a slave trader. I was so angry. I was part of the problem. No, his grace has come to John Newton and his grace has come to you. It's from the depth of depravity that we've known this wonderful love, the depth. And my last point is this. The height of Christ's love. We've looked, haven't we? We've looked at the width, how wide, everyone included. We've looked at the length, the length, eternity. We've looked at the depth, our sin. Now let's just look at the height. See, if we don't realise the enormity of the problem, we won't realise how high we've been raised. If we don't realise the mess we're in, if we don't realise how bad it was, we won't understand the glory of what's happened to us in the gospel. Psalm 103 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. And apparently scientists tell me the universe is constantly expanding. His love is constantly expanding. Whether his love is getting bigger or just our understanding of it is getting bigger, his love is enormous and he has lifted us from the depth of depravity right into the highest heavens. You see, we've not just been restored to where Adam lost it. Because in the garden there was an order. Animals, humanity, angels, God. And when man sinned and depraved and got down, God, when he came down in Christ, 
not just lifted us up to where we were, or even lifted us up to angelic heights. He lifted us up with him. We've been raised, it says in Ephesians, with Christ and are now seated with him in heavenly places. Dear friends, this is the expression of the love of God, that we don't just get our sins forgiven and wiped clean. We get raised up to be with him. We get included in Christ. We're put in him. And in him, all our sins are judged and forgiven. But in him, we also get all the righteousness, cleanness, gloriousness, wonderfulness of God imbued, imparted, put into us so that we are now in Christ. And where are you? Well, I'm seated in the Jubilee Centre in Sheffield in Yorkshire. No, you're not. If you're a Christian, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is the height of the love of God. This is the magnitude of the love of God. This is the glory of the love of God. This is why we need to know these things. This is why we need to know. We need to know how wide. We need to know how long. We need to know how deep. We need to know how high the love of Christ is. Ephesians 2.6, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Romans 8 verse 17, if we're children, we're children, all right, kids, we're children as well. If we're children, heirs, if we're children, he says in Romans 8, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're in Christ, we're co-heirs with Christ. And it says that we're going to reign with him for eternity. It says that for all eternity, we're going to reign with Christ in glory. Isn't it wonderful? Now, how does all this happen? Well, Ephesians 1 tells us, it says this, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's the Holy Spirit who does this. It says in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your innermost being. Deep within, he wants to assure you by the Spirit that you are a child of God that you are encapsulated in his love. It says in Romans 8, verse 15, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies that with our spirit that we are God's children. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I think sometimes we've lost our roots. Sometimes we've forgotten our family values. Sometimes we've forgotten that this is by the Spirit. Sometimes we've forgotten that this is a filling of the Holy Spirit that does this. How do we know these things in our hearts? By the Spirit. How do we get revelation of these things? In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about having a spirit of wisdom and revelation by the Spirit that we are God's, that we're owned by Him. It's by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we can have a mental assent to that doctrine and not a personal experience of it. 
And I just want to end this talk by saying, encouraging you, have you and are you constantly receiving the Holy Spirit? Because it's the Spirit of Christ that brings Christ alive to us. See, people said, if I receive the Spirit, will I get a bit weird? Well, no, you get a bit like Jesus. You get more like Jesus. Jesus said this in John 15 and 16, the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, testifies about me. He brings glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. The more and more you receive of the spirit, the more and more you get to be like Jesus. And I, I read this, well, Anne read this in a book recently. It's a great book by Johnny Gumbel, who's Nicky Gumbel's son, now a leader. I think, where was he? He's in Brazil, Rio, and uh, wrote this wonderful book on Romans called Loved. If you haven't read it, it's brilliant. And he said this, God's love means that you become the best person you can be. The be receiving God's love makes you the best, the best version of yourself. This love makes us more, not less. We become like Jesus, kinder, braver, more compassionate through this relationship. Becoming like Jesus doesn't make us less ourselves. It makes us more ourselves. It makes us more who we were supposed to be. The, the love of God shines through us more. Dear friends, we need to, that was such a beautiful word that was brought out earlier about shining in the community. Being the light of the world in the community. Being God's love and light in the community. How are we going to do that? Well, by receiving the Spirit, we get more like Jesus. Jesus makes us more who we're supposed to be, the light of the world. Because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he turned to his disciples and said, you're the light of the world. Receiving the Spirit is the flame that makes us shine like Jesus. I'll end on another story. I heard Terry Virgo this week, the founder of our movement. He doesn't speak often at these events. He's 82 years old now. Doesn't speak often. But one of the brothers asked him up to speak. And he was just overcome. He was starting to cry. He said, 40 years ago, he went to India. It's interesting how so many good things come out of India. He said, 40 years ago, I went to India. And I was listening to a great man of God preach. And God said to him, come outside, I want to talk to you. And you know what it's like in India. You don't want to leave. It's embarrassing to leave a meeting. But he did what he said, left the meeting. They were on a high mountain, he said. And he sat by a rock. And God just opened the scripture up to him. And it was Isaiah 41, I think it was. I won't tell you all the whole detail of it. because It's quite a long story. But he just saw this little trickle of a river. He was sitting by it. He was up in the mountains. He looked down. Just a little trickle of a river. And he started to read in Isaiah 41 about streams in the desert and about trickles becoming rivers. And he looked down the valley and he saw this tiny trickle becoming this great river, great river, snaking around, meandering around and exiting the sea. And he said, God said to him, you have no idea what I'm going to do with you as a movement if you keep receiving the Spirit. If you keep receiving the trickle, if you, start, if you keep receiving the source of it all, which is my spirit, if you keep receiving the trickle, if you keep receiving the life, I'm going to make you a mighty river of nations. And Terry looked up, and we were all holding hands, and there was almost every nation 
represented that we're working with, 90 nations. And Terry just started to weep. It's like, don't you get it, guys? If we keep receiving the Spirit, it's the Spirit that's going to send us out. Jesus said, wait till you receive the Spirit. And when you receive the Spirit, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Our whole foundation as a family of churches is we were those who received the Spirit. We became more like Jesus. We were able to shine in who we were supposed to be in Christ. And we started to build churches, reach communities, go to nations. Dear friends, if this church is going to be who God wants us to be, we need to be men and women, sons and daughters of the Spirit. We need to be receiving. The, this passage says it's by the Spirit. Could have preached this from Ephesians 1. It says exactly the same. It's by the Spirit we understand the love of God in Christ. It's not just a mental ascent. He says here it's in our hearts. It's internally. And sometimes I think we get deceived because we know these things, but are we being propelled by these things? We get propelled by these things when we receive the Spirit.